president leaves 300,000 guns on the ground to be picked up by the Taliban and then lectures us on the responsibility of gun ownership? Of course, this is the same man signing bills into law denying the biology of sex, confusing the right to decide which bathroom to use, stating anyone who doesn't agree is a terrorist and should be red flagged into oblivion? Clearly someone needs a good strong shot of the truth. Good thing we're here. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. It's Monday, and it's almost Christmas. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Monday, that means a lot of things happened. We're going to dig into all of them, but it's Christmas. It's Christmas, y'all. Why don't we... uh, Why don't we just celebrate Christmas here? Listen up now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Yeah, it's a little different. We're, we're just a little different show here. And let me tell you this. The good thing is we don't answer to anybody. And I'm not bragging. I'm not bold. I'm just stating a fact. We purposely structured this show from the very beginning to be totally independent. We don't rely on any network. We don't have any network censors. Twitter can't come in and... Uh, Cancel us. Nobody can cancel us. As long as we have free access to the internet, we can do this show from any place in the world. 
and I mean any place in the world. We could actually go to the Bahama Islands, and I'm not talking about the big cities like Nassau. I'm talking about a little bitty island somewhere. And as long as my phone can get internet, we can broadcast TNN Live. We did that on purpose. Not that I think or feel strongly that there's something big or bad going to happen, but it's a just-in-case thing, just-in-case. And let's be honest, we can't plan, we can't predict what this government is going to do to its people. We see dictators around the globe that are just ratcheting down almost every day, getting deeper into the lives of their subjects. We're not subjects, we're citizens, and we don't want Joe Biden, we don't want even Donald Trump, we don't want anybody digging into our personal lives and trying to control us. And that's happening every day. I mean every day. They didn't take off for the weekend, folks. It's a 24-7 thing in D.C. Now, the people that we see and hear all the time, maybe they're taking some time off. Maybe they have nice homes in places like uh, the Bahamas or even Delaware. Hmm, who might that be? (laughs) Uh, And also, how do you get that kind of money to buy five homes, every one of them in glorious locations around the globe? Joe Biden, he didn't have it. He didn't come up with it. He was in government his entire career. And the most he ever made, and I said made with my fingers in the air doing double quotation marks, is when he was a U.S. senator, made a little more as vice president in those eight years with Barack Obama. But I'm talking about money on top of the table, $170,000 a year as U.S. senator. He's got five luxury homes. Five. You figure it out. And if we mention that, if we're on one of the networks, I mean, nobody at Fox News can say that. Nobody at CNN can say that because they'll get hammered by their network producers. You're listening to the network producer here. You're listening to the one who decides what can and can't be said and who and who can't come on this show. We can have anybody on here, anybody that wants to come. If we want them to come, it's my decision. Why are you saying this, Dan? I got to be honest with you. This Christmas, during this season, there's more fear than there's been in a long time. You can sense it, maybe a little more in the very bad beginnings of COVID and the pandemic, and we were getting flooded with disinformation, lie after lie after lie by our so-called experts that knew everything and told us, just sit down and shut up. If you don't, you're going to die, and before you die, you're going to kill everybody else you love just by breathing air. I'm not exaggerating. That's the life that we were living. Maybe jump forward now to Christmas month, 2022, right here where we are. I can sense the lust from people in power that want to go back there and make it a permanent environment in the United States of America. They look up north just a little bit, 
I mean, I'm talking about you go over the bridge out of Detroit and you're in Canada. Go there. Look at what's happened in Canada. They're supposed to be a democratic country, but their government is clamping down and they did during COVID's pandemic and they love it and they just assume the authority to clamp down. And we're talking about a so-called free democratic country. You can feel the desire of those in authority over us in the United States that want the same thing and even go further. Now, why would I assume that? I'm not assuming it. Real independent democratic leaders anywhere on the planet that legitimately answer to their citizens, what's the first requirement to make that process work? Everybody abides by what? The rule of law. Is this government abiding by the rule of law itself? It's demanding that we all do. And if we don't, God forbid, we're going to get busted. We have people just getting yanked out of their homes and going to jail and not allowing to even meet with their attorneys or see their family members. We have some of those Americans that are in jail today in Washington, D.C., many of which have been there for more than a year because the government came after them and made allegations that are supposed to be either proven or disproven in court in a speedy trial. Speedy trials are promised Americans if and when we're arrested We get a speedy trial so you don't stay in jail for a year, a year and a half. It's happening today in Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, what are we doing? We're trying to figure out what to get grandma and grandpa for Christmas. We're trying to figure out if we should spend all of our Christmas money or most of it on a bunch of presents or should we come up with a great family vacation and either go to the mountains to ski or go to the beach. Uh, By the way, if I have a vote, I'm voting for the beach. We get so caught up in our stuff, we don't realize our stuff that has always been guaranteed that we would have free and ready access to. Our government wants to take the access away, and before they do that, take everything that we have. Why? This government wants to seize more and more power from us, the American citizens. In the whole COVID-19 pandemic, the lockdowns, that was an experiment to see how much of the freedom American citizens are willing to give up to their government. And folks, I just be honest with you, they locked us down. They kept us in our homes, couldn't go to work, sent us some paltry taxpayer money that they went to the bank and borrowed that you and I are going to have to pay back. But that was just to keep us kind of pacified while they found out just how much of our freedom and liberty we're willing to give up in the name of whatever. We know better than you. Where are we going today in the show? Where do we need to go? We've got to talk about. We've got to talk about what is facing us. It's right in our faces now. We'll get into the latest Twitter 
dump in just a little bit. But I got to be honest with you. I'm one of those people. I have preached it. I have begged for it. I have lauded Republicans that have come on this show, Congressman Mike Johnson, Congressman Steve Scalise. I applaud their willingness and their desires to make sure when the House takes over that with the power the House has, and this will happen on January 3rd, that they get into the evil wrongdoing that is happening on the other side of the aisle, principally, not always, but principally, and that we get to the bottom of it and change it. Hold those accountable that are guilty of it. But listen, there there are millions of a group of Republicans across the nation that are excited to hear the Republican majority in the House is going to open up several dozen hearings into all the doings of the Biden family syndicate. No reasonable person can deny that this president, before he was president, not only knew quite a bit about the business dealings, foreign business dealings, involving both his son, Hunter, and his little brother, Jim. Biden, now president, was an intricate part of them. While campaigning for the 2020 election, then-candidate Biden formally declared when asked that he never even spoke to his son about Hunter's foreign business dealings. What we know for certain now is that he had numerous meetings with Hunter's business associates, and Joe almost certainly benefited personally, financially, in several of, if not all of those business arrangements. In fact, you'll remember, according to Tony Bobolinsky, one of Hunter's former partners, Joe was called the big guy in correspondence about business proceeds and how they were to be split. The big guy was to get 10% of the money, the profits, that would be held for the big guy by his little boy, Hunter. So as a tactical concern, not emotional, but a tactical process concern, the House GOP's decision to open an investigation into the Biden family corruption is questionable. Now, listen to me. Don't go, don't go anywhere. Stay with me. It promises a very limited political return. Jumping right into these trials, it promises a very limited return. There's not going to be a bunch of good come out of it. Some think it would serve Republicans in the country far better if the House focused on this hyper-politicized Department of Justice that targets the political opposition labels concerned parents domestic terrorists and ignores violence that's aimed at pregnancy centers, for starters. None of that, though, means there isn't sufficient circumstantial evidence that suggests now President Biden not only lied about knowing his son was favored trading on the family name with corrupt autocracies, but that he was a beneficiary of those business dealings. Indeed, precedent says Republicans have a duty to democracy to investigate. Yet, Greg Sargent over at the Washington Post warns us, quote, if Republicans can obliterate the distinction between 
congressional investigations done in good faith and ones that weaponized the process in bad faith, they win. Now remember, only Democrats get to launch investigations in good faith. Pathological partisanship can lead to cosmic shamelessness. And you almost, you got to admire the boldness. These are the very same people who spent years championing one of the most unethical investigations in American history. We now know that the Russia collusion hysteria was predicated on partisan opposition research and disinformation lies meant to delegitimize the 2016 election. There was a grand total of zero indictments related to the 2016 election collusion. So rickety was the evidence that guardians of our sacred norms never even tried to impeach former President Donald Trump over this alleged sedition, remember? They tried to get him on little bitty things. I'll spare you that slew of blown one-source anonymous scoops spread by major media organizations in concert with the FBI and Democrat Party. Sergeant at the Washington Post highlighted every one of them. But remember this. You remember when the New York Post broke the Hunter Biden laptop story? Everybody that was in the left-wing media complex regurgitated claims of former intelligence officials, including known liars like James Clapper and John Brennan, that the entire kerfuffle was just Russian disinformation. Sergeant at the Post, he dismissed the news as a fake scandal and worked to discredit the story. The Hunter story always had four more, four, uh, more journalistic substantiation, verification, than the historic and fallacious Russia collusion investigations that Sargent and the Washington Post peddled for five years. Post reporters had interviewed the owner of the Delaware computer shop. Remember him? That's where Hunter had abandoned his computer. They had Hunter's signature on a receipt. They had on-the-record sources with intimate knowledge of all of his interactions. They had Tony Bobolinsky, one of two former business partners of Hunter, who contend that the big guy was Uncle Joe. Now, it's certainly possible that that computer shop owner and Bobolinsky, a Navy veteran, former chief technology officer, at the Naval Nuclear Power Training Command, who made campaign contributions to progressives like Ro Khanna, were part of an elaborate fascist cabal spreading disinformation. But now, Congress put, gets to put these guys under oath. Later, emails implicating the president as a participant in Hunter's schemes were authenticated by forensic specialists Yet virtually the entire mainstream or legacy journalistic establishment with the help of tech giants limited the story's exposure to help their preferred candidate win in 2020. Yeah, democracy indeed. Then there's the issue of President Biden claiming he 
He knew nothing about Hunter's leveraging of the family name to influence peddling and never personality personally profited off any of his son's schemes. What did Joe think Hunter was doing when he hitched a ride to secure deals with the Chicons on Air Force Two back in 2013? Do you think Joe thought Hunter just wanted to tag along and listen in on everything? No. Hunter was on the trip to secure this big deal with that Chinese mega company of $1.5 billion in hard cold cash for Hunter to use and operate in Hunter's new investment company. Does Joe not remember that two Obama administration officials raised major concerns about Hunter's relationship with Burisma, that corrupt Ukrainian energy firm? When finally asked about his son, Biden claimed the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Yeah, right. His buddies lied just like they had during the Russia collusion hysteria. Last week, only two years late, CBS News confirmed the Hunter Biden emails were all genuine. Go figure. Just like everyone knew they were. Now we've authenticated emails showing executives from Burisma thanking Hunter for facilitating a meeting that they had with Joe Biden, then vice president. Now think about this. If Joe was a Republican, what would Adam Schiff do? (laughs) Schiff would not only have opened an investigation, but he would have claimed to be in possession of irrefutable proof that the 2020 election had been bought by the Chinese. Sergeant at the Washington Post would be churning out one hyperbolic piece after the next. We'd all be watching another thermonuclear meltdown. Of course, nearly every congressional investigation in history is to one extent or another and undertaken in bad faith, and that's fine. One of the most beneficial roles of political parties is that they will hold the opposition accountable. But Sargent, his paper, Washington Post, and other advocates of one-party rule only see legitimacy in their objectives, which is one of the numerous reasons their claim to be democracy's defenders is so laughable. Republicans are lathered up and poised to launch at least a dozen inquiries into all things Biden. Now, I'm certainly not maintaining they should not investigate all the wrongdoing during this administration. They should. But considerable resources should be gathered to stop the insanity of this administration in places like uh, our economy, the drug and illegal immigrant flood at the southern border, and shoring up our seriously injured military. Very few even mention the horrors Biden has meted out on our military during and since the Afghanistan debacle. If I was the leader of a militant foreign country that had ever considered attacking the U.S., now would be the perfect time. Remember this, Hirohito, he waited to attack Pearl Harbor until he knew the U.S. was totally embroiled in Europe, fighting Hitler. 
There just might be a copycat out there somewhere in hiding, waiting for the perfect moment. No matter anybody, yours, mine, political perspective, all reasonable people recognize our nation is wounded and in great need of organized leadership that would once more lead the nation instead of rule the nation who has been Biden's style of governing. Wait, isn't Joe Biden one of many on the left to accuse Donald Trump of wanting to be an authoritarian ruler of the United States instead of the president? Republicans better get consensus on every one of these issues and others not mentioned and do it quickly. The ship USS America, the greatest ship ever on any ocean on the globe, needs to be turned from its present path toward certain destruction. And remember, a really big ship that's loaded down, it takes a long time and a whole lot of sea to turn around such a great ship out in the ocean. And a 180-degree path alteration is required to save the ship USS America. Changing course to get back on track is far more important than going after Biden's syndicate, although the two got to run in parallel. Time is of the essence. American leaders need to quit fighting about laws that some don't like. The fighting is just the surface of the evil that must be stopped. Please begin. Everybody, Democrat, Republican, Independent, enforce all federal laws. And if a majority don't like all or some of those federal laws, especially the federal immigration laws, then change them. But until you change them, enforce the ones in place. After all, didn't you promise to do that in your oath of office? Republican House members, make January 3rd the most important day so far in your government service. Don't politicize everything. Stop politicizing anything. And do one thing. Govern. Govern our nation. Golly. How great would this nation be again if that's what our government would do? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have somebody that sits in the White House or stands out in front of a big crowd speaking to those in Congress that would make a mark on just not the United States of America, but every country on earth and confront our evil opponents very demonstratively one more time and make a statement for freedom, justice for all, and equality, equal justice under the law one more time. And now, now the Soviets themselves may in a limited way be coming to understand the importance of freedom. We hear much from Moscow about a new policy of reform and openness. Some political prisoners have been released. Certain foreign news broadcasts are no longer being jammed. 
Some economic enterprises have been permitted to operate with greater freedom from state control. Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it? We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A great leader is not a great leader for just what they say. A great leader says it. You just heard Ronald Reagan. That wall came down. Two totally opposite citizenships across the world. Authoritarians and democratic citizens had a chance finally to join together and live democratically where the rule of law was always going to be enforced. What would Ronald Reagan say to Joe Biden? It wouldn't be tear down this wall. Maybe it would be Mr. Biden break the the wall between Democrats and Republicans and reaffirm your commitment to the people of the United States, the rule of law, and freedom and justice for all. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals... Better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. 
But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. We've got a little bit that uh, we're going to hear in just a little while about the possibilities, the current possibilities even, of a Hunter Biden investigation. But you know what? Yeah, we got to go there. We do, because there's so much implications in, uh, in the middle of it that point to fingers to lawbreaking and lawbreakers. We got to deal with that. But can we... Walk and chew gum at the same time. Can our government do that? (laughs) They really need to do that. We had Mike Johnson on last month, I guess, three three weeks ago. And I asked him about that. What are you guys doing in preparation for taking over the house, taking control of the house? And he told us, he said, we, leadership in the Republican Party, we've already started putting documents together to immediately come out and start issuing subpoenas and get these wrongdoers in front of Congress under subpoena where they have to take an oath. So if they lie, that's a federal crime. But here's what everybody needs to understand. If that is what they do, who's going to prosecute these people? Congress can't. Congress can build a case, get results, and then recommend the Department of Justice to take action and prosecute wrongdoers for federal crimes. But then the Department of Justice, led by Attorney General Merrick Garland, makes the decision, are we going to prosecute this person or that person? And even if they agree to do it, he can slow play it for years can slow play it. Is that what we want a Republican House to do? I guarantee it. I don't think it needs to be a 50-50 split where half of it is go and get the wrongdoers from previous years, the last two years, and hold them accountable. And then the other half take up the business of America and get us straightened out. If they can do that successfully, it's okay with me. But don't shut down our ability and our desire and our need to fix the nation. It's got to happen. If this house doesn't do it, doesn't at least get it started with whatever power and authority they have to do that, i got to be honest with you, by 2024, we're going to be governed 
by rules like Canada, a slide into the first level of going into the darkness of totalitarianism. I promise you, I promise you, those are the steps that will actually take place if the House of Representatives, beginning January 3rd, doesn't launch that path. Now, they promise us now that's what they're going to do. We got to hold them to it, don't we? We got to. Well, the fourth part of the Twitter files was published Saturday night by journalist Michael Schellenberger. And it outlines the tweet, the Twitter executives twisted the platform's rules with the intention of blacklisting Donald Trump on January 7, 2020. In a recently published thread, journalist Michael Schellenberger, he outlined the fourth release of the Twitter file series, and he detailed the internal workings at Twitter and conversations between the executives there ahead of the banning of former President Donald Trump. I wondered if there was a process or if it was just somebody like Jack Dorsey or his followers, those that came after him, that just knee-jerked. And there was no process in place. They just said, kick him out, shut him down. Schellenberger states in this release that after the events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, Twitter faced a massive amount of pressure to get rid of Donald Trump, many claiming they needed to ban Trump for safety purposes. I don't know what that was about. So during this time, remember Jack Dorsey was still CEO. He was on vacation, and he appeared to delegate much, if not all, of the decision-making to other top execs that included people like Global Head of Trust and Safety, Yoel Roth, Head of Legal Policy and Trust, Vijaya Gaddy, who was the platform's censorship queen. On January 7th, Dorsey emailed employees saying that the platform must remain consistent in its policies. And what did that mean? That included allowing users to return to the platform after temporary bans. Yoel Roth reassured one employee that people who care about this aren't happy where we are. Roth later excited his colleagues, stating, guess what? Jack just approved repeat offender for civic integrity. This would allow Twitter to create a system. And in the system, five violations of rules meant you're going to get permanently suspended. Colleagues continued to ask Yoel Roth about incitement to violence, and on January 8th, Twitter announced a permanent ban on Trump's account because of the risk of the further incitement of violence. Twitter said that the ban was based on specifically how Trump's tweets are being received and interpreted. But Schellenberger said that in 2019, Twitter stated it did not attempt to determine all potential interpretations of the content or the content's intent. This is crazy. In another discussion, Roth asked a colleague to act, stop the steal and Kraken to a blacklist of turns to be unamplified. The colleague objects, stating that doing so could risk de-amplifying counter-speech that validated the 2020 election results. 
The latest Twitter files release appears to show an attempt by Roth and other Twitter employees to justify the banning of Trump and attempts to figure out how current policy could be applied in a way that would explain the permanent suspension. In other words, they're trying to cover their tracks. Schellenberger ends the thread by noting that Facebook suspension of Trump and its willingness to ignore its own rules put the final nail in the coffin for Trump's return to Twitter. Now that's kind of the roadmap of this latest batch of tweets. What does it mean to you? Are you a are you a tweeter? Are you into Twitter? I know people, gosh, in the hundreds that have made it very clear when all of this came out and it, it was really what especially Republicans and other conservatives thought about Twitter. It was a concerted effort to shut down the free speech of those who they disagree with. And those people already abandoned their Twitter accounts. I still have one. I never post on it. Literally, I never post on it. And very seldom do I go and read it because I don't communicate with others that way. I'm still using Facebook, but only for Facebook to disseminate our daily TNN live shows. Well, how are you communicating with people? I need to communicate with you. I'm going to do it principally through text. If I don't have your phone number, I'll send you an email. And guess what? It's pretty effective one-on-one stuff instead of putting stuff out there in the blogosphere for anybody and everybody to see and read and make a determination or try to make a determination not about what I say, but what was his intentions? What was behind what he said? One of the wars that we constantly have in our house, Marianne and I, she loves to send text. I hate texting. Sometimes it's necessary. People are in a place where they can't talk on the phone. But so much of the meaning of what people are texting and emailing, for that matter, is lost if you can't look at the person that's sending the message or you don't know their context, what they really meant. And I got to be honest with you, it's been my finding especially when something is emotional or serious or there's a lot of stuff that's built up regarding anything that they're talking about through these Twitter, uh, through these um, texts. More often than not, it turns ugly. Pick up the phone and call them. It'll take Marianne 10 minutes or 15 minutes sometimes to put a text together if she's especially angry. She'll go back and look at it and edit it or whatever. It would be so much easier if you called them. It It doesn't matter if they're mad or you're mad. It doesn't matter how emotional it is. When people talk to each other, they sense more than what they think was being said in a text. I don't know why she won't do it. A lot of people are that way. I think they feel like maybe they're anonymous, but they're not anonymous. If you're sending a a text to somebody, you know, that means you've got their phone number. You obviously know each other. 
Oh, my gosh. Trump was banned from Twitter. But it happened, and this one just shocked me. It happened the day after the former first lady, Michelle Obama, demanded the company permanently remove him. That's not subjection, folks. That's proven in the Twitter dump. Elon Musk and journalist Michael Schellenberger released that fourth batch of Twitter documents that show the internal communications when all this was going on. Among those files, Schellenberger reported internal and external pressure, including from the former first lady, fell on the company to call for Trump to be banned forever. Now is the time for Silicon Valley companies to stop enabling this monstrous behavior and go even further than they have already by permanently banning this man from their platforms and putting in place policies to prevent their technologies from being used by the nation's leaders to fuel insurrection. Now, that's just a part of what she wrote. I mean, she wrote a long one, probably 250, 300 words. She added... And if we have any hope of improving this nation, now is the time for swift and serious consequences for the failure of leadership that led to yesterday's shame. So it wasn't just Obama. The Anti-Defamation League, among several other prominent people and organizations, called for Trump's ban. So the next day, January 7th, Jack Dorsey wrote an email to employees instructing them to remain consistent in its policies, including the right of users to return to Twitter after temporary suspension. And so he was in one. Trump was in one at the time, a suspension. And the rest is, it's history. They dumped him. I I can't imagine something like that ever happened to any other president in U.S. history. But then again, Donald Trump is not like any other president in U.S. history. So, here we are, Hunter Biden, you know he's scared. You know he's been assured, and let me tell you, and this is another reason why I'm really not into Republicans going full bore into investigating Joe and Hunter and trying to take action. If they find that Hunter Biden actually committed felony offenses, which I'm 100% certain he did. Yeah, I want him to be prosecuted, but you and I both know it's going to happen. If they do it in the next two years and Hunter Biden is convicted of any felony situation and he ends up serving any jail time, what's going to happen? His dad is going to give him a free pass. He can do that as president. Wouldn't it be another humendous, what did I say, humendous? What is that? Enormous waste of our time. If we went down that road and that happened and there was nobody being held accountable for any of that wrongdoing, what good would it do? So Hunter, by the way, is not sitting there and not doing nothing. Two months after the FBI subpoenaed the laptop Hunter Biden had abandoned, 
the Drug Enforcement Administration searched the office of Hunter's one-time psychiatrist, Keith Abloh, and took a second laptop Hunter had left with him. The timing of that raid and the fact that criminal charges were never filed against Abloh, coupled with the whistleblower's claims that the FBI buried evidence against Hunter, raises the question of whether the search was a pretext to recover Hunter's laptop and protect the Biden family. So while the DEA's recovery of the second laptop escaped scrutiny over the last nearly three years, one Washington Post article from Saturday brings up that the laptop into focus and with its questions about the DEA seizure of the laptop and agent's decision to return it to Hunter. So if you have any hunger or desire to dig into it, there's an article in the Washington Post that came out over the weekend titled, Some Hunter Biden Allies Making Plans to Go After His accusers. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Why would they be doing that? The Post reported that Hunter and his closest advisors are plotting an offensive for when Republicans assume control on January 3rd, the strategy sessions to counter what Biden associates frame as an expected onslaught of investigations. And it all began. They started this last September, according to the Post, with a meeting at the California home of Hunter Biden's friend and lawyer, Kevin Morris. Morris, already famous in the entertainment industry, an attorney for the co-creators of South Park, gained notoriety when the New York Post reported that Morris footed Hunter Biden's overdue taxes totaling over $2 million. In addition to Morris, David Brock, a liberal activist, joined in the September 2022 strategy session. At one point, Hunter himself happened to call into the meeting, connecting briefly by video, and add his own thoughts. Now, this is all according to the Washington Post. While it didn't detail Hunter's purported thoughts, the Washington Post reported that Morris suggested it was crucial for Hunter's camp to be more aggressive. According to the article Saturday, Morris then described during the September meeting at his California home the defamation lawsuits the team could pursue against the presidential son's critics, including Fox News, Eric Trump, and Rudy Giuliani. Morris also outlined extensive research on two potential witnesses against Hunter, a spurned business partner named Tony Bobolinsky, who you know about, and a computer repairman named John Paul Mac Isaac from Delaware. Brock provided some more insight, telling the Washington Post they feel that there is a whole counter-narrative missing because of the whole hunter-hater narrative out there. What we really got into was more the meat of it, the meat of what a response should look like, Brock said about that September meeting. To help out, Brock planned to start a new group, and they've launched it, by the way, named Facts First USA, which Brock described as a SWAT team designed to ensure that the media and public don't accept any false narratives that flows from congressional investigation. 
More recently, again, according to the Post, Brock's group, Facts First, is engaging with Hunter and those in his immediate circle. Brock is reviewing research that Morris has conducted on Biden's adversaries, including Bobolinsky and the computer guy, Mac Isaac. According to the Post, Morris and others are focused on whether the data claimed to be recovered from the laptop that was abandoned at the Delaware Computer Repair Store was improperly obtained and improperly distributed, with Hunter and his allies suggesting that the materials released by Judy Ali and others may have originated from the laptop Hunter abandoned at the repair shop. Instead, the Help Hunter crew, they say that the information may have been improperly taken from a Hunter laptop left with Ablo, his shrink, whom the Post frames as close to Republican activist Roger Stone. The Post then reported that Morris has been overseeing a forensic analysis of the laptop to determine if it was the basis of the hard drives that were later distributed by Trump allies. Now, what is this all about? I'm just telling you, we are dealing not with Hunter Biden, not even with Joe Biden. We are dealing with a massive machine that began in September to create their plan. Now, remember, these people have not thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars. They have tens of millions of dollars that they are all willing to use for whatever cause is necessary to perpetrate any kind of action to take out anybody that comes up against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden over the next two years. I told you in the opening, what we need to do is actually do a a real investigation into Hunter Biden as it pertains to Joe Biden. We definitely need to do that, but we don't need to exhaust 50, 60, 70% of the resources and the time that this Congress has, you never know what's going to happen in 2024. The Democrats could win back both houses. And if that happens, you can forget about anybody being prosecuted for wrongdoing. In between January 3rd next month and Election Day in 2024, do the investigating. Find the wrongdoing. Make it happen quickly. And then see what the Department of Justice will do to prosecute the wrongdoers that you finger in your investigations. Knowing that it's not going to be processed equitably or quickly if they take any of it up to be discussed internally about holding those liable for what they've done. The results... There will be some deals cut, maybe some hand slapping. We've already seen it happen in the Russian investigation. Anybody and everybody that was implicated, if they got anything, it was a slap on the hand in light of what they really did. Why would they change that? They're not going to. The die is cast, folks. 
And this latest information about this group and what they're going to do prove they've loaded their guns and they've done it way in advance. And though I know there are a lot of really smart people in the House of Representatives in the Republican Party, a lot of them, I know several of them personally, and I think they're going to do a great job. They're going up against an opponent, a foe, that's really a cabal of some of the wealthiest and most committed people on the planet. And they don't want this thing to go south that they have begun, which is taking permanent control politically of the U.S. government. I'm serious, folks. Okay, the show today is not about just all that. But that was important stuff for us to bring out and discuss today. I hope you tuned in early enough to get this from the beginning. Make sure if you weren't, that you go back and pick up the show, which you can get any one of the places. You know the places to go to get it. And listen to the first 30 minutes or so. Because there's a lot of information there that you need to think about. You don't need, none of us needs to dismiss any of it. Because it's out there, it's being exposed, and what that means is when we hear something that's going on, if we get any of the information about what's going on, it's always just going to be the top layers. Know this, the opposition to liberty and justice for all, they are some of the most powerful people and wealthiest people on the planet. And what they've proven they can do and will do is control the narrative. And they can flood the information world with so much propaganda that Americans just shake their heads and finally give up and just automatically believe what they're hearing and being told. I don't want that to happen. I know you don't either. What do we have up next? Well, we've got some more Democrat defectors after the election. Seems like there are people that are running for the hills seeing what's ahead. Maybe they know a little more than we do. We go there right after this. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, 
what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. You know, I'm not certain. I've got to check with our... With our editor, content editor, I think that commercial break was played in the first half hour of the show. I don't know. If we did, they got extra time. So what? Hey, we're easy. We'll listen to pretty much everything. I mean, we do that. We're in the habit of doing that. That's what we do here is digest information and determine if it's real or not, right? So several elected Democrats, despite, if somebody's honest, they'll agree there was a great deal of success in the midterms by Democrats. They've chosen to end their affiliation with the Democrat Party. And that's raising some concern over whether the party might be suffering from a retention problem as political divides are getting wider in the country. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinnamon, she's refused to fall in line again and again with other Dems on some key issues. She announced Friday in an op-ed that she was leaving the Democrat Party and had registered as an independent, citing increasingly partisan interest and the radicalization of both parties as the reason for her doing so. But she's not the only elected leader who recently made the decision to ditch the Democrat Party. Last week, New York City Councilman Ari Kagan, who was elected to the council in 2021 as a Democrat, announced he would be exiting the party, but he's going to become a Republican. In West Virginia, State Senator Glenn Jeffries announced earlier this month he's foregoing his affiliation with the party to join Republicans. So with the recent departures, there's a question, obviously. Whether the party is facing retention issues, after Democrats maintained control of the Senate, they narrowly lost the House. But strategists from both sides of the aisle appear divided over the reasoning why some elected officials have decided to abandon the party. Why should it, why should it puzzle anybody that there would be strategists on both sides of the aisle that can't agree. (laughs) I mean, that's what they exist with, that they disagree with their political opponents. So Kevin Seifert, who served as chief of staff to former GOP House Speaker Paul Ryan, he said both parties have challenges. Duh! (laughs) He believes Democrats have an ideological problem because of their woke progressive base. It was interesting to hear what he had to say. Here's a quote. 
progressive activists literally chased Senator Sinema into a bathroom and when she wouldn't agree to their policy demands on immigration. In recent cycles, they systematically primaried moderate Democrats who didn't toe the far-left line. It shouldn't come as a surprise that leaders are responding to these overt precious tactics by leaving the party and becoming independents. So Kagan, that council member up in New York City, when he announced his decision, he said this, the Democrat Party in New York is moving to the left at such a speed I couldn't keep up with them. It's not me leaving the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party very quickly started to leave me. In spite of these recent shakeups within the party, most Democratic strategists conclude the departures have nothing to do with the success of the party and that Cinema's recent exit has to do with her logic in winning her next election. I don't think this has anything to do with retention. That comes from Jessica Tarlov. She's a Democrat strategist. You see her on one of Fox's Fox's show. Is it the five? Every once in a while, she appears on one of them. She's the one that has the, the funny voice. It's funny that I would notice that about somebody. And besides that, she's a hardcore leftist, and I disagree with almost anything and everything she says. But anyway. She said Cinema made a strategic decision to avoid a primary that she would have lost to Democrat Representative Ruben Gallego. As an independent, she knows that a three-way race, race, three-way race, try to say that, three-way race. <laughs> she knew that Cinema knew she'd be handed the election and that Senate seat to the GOP. She's keeping her assignments and caucusing with Democrats. Votes with Biden 90% plus. This isn't about a problem with Democrats. Another strategist, Sarah Norman, who served as senior advisor for Kamala Harris. Boy, she did a great job, didn't she? She told Fox News she believed Cinema's decision to leave the party was because she was going to lose a primary and is trying to blackmail Democrats into functionally letting her run for re-election alone. If Democrats had lost badly, Cinema could have pushed to say that only she can win in Arizona. We saw in 2022 that Arizona is totally winnable by a normal Democrat, which means any argument she has in a primary is gone. So in announcing her departure, Cinema, who has represented Arizona in the Senate since January of 2019, wrote in a Friday op-ed, when politicians are more focused on denying the opposition a victory than they are on improving Americans' lives, the people who lose are everyday Americans. She said, that's why I've joined the growing number of Arizonans who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in D.C., I registered as an Arizona independent. So let me ask you this. What is your opinion? Is there really a problem in the Democrat Party? Is that why these Democrats are leaving? And I, I understand the numbers aren't massive, 
But anytime you see this kind of thing happen, and we're talking about at the local, now state, and at the national level, it makes people sit back and say, really? Are these Democrats, were they waking up and realizing that something's wrong with their party? Let me tell you this. I told you in the opening story to not minimize the opposition to these investigations into Hunter Biden and all things of the Biden family syndicate when the House takes control next month because those people have, they're they're stacked and ready. They've got tons of money, millions of dollars. That one guy, forget his name, but Hunter Biden had a $2 million income tax, federal income tax issue, and the guy wrote a check and paid for it. Now, here's a question for you. You're going to love this. This just popped into my head. $2 million. Now, the guy, uh, he couldn't have written a check, and it wouldn't make any difference. That would be income to Hunter Biden, wouldn't it? Somebody gave him money. It wasn't money that he earned, so he would owe income tax on that because it was gifted. So not only would he have his $2 million problem, well, he would have whatever the tax would be on $2 million. If he's a above-average income guy, and we all know he is, he would probably have a 50% tax liability on the $2 million. So it would turn into the $2 million tax deal plus about a $1 million in additional due tax on it. And they took care of all this. And please understand, money's not everything. But when you have money, you can control almost everything. And these Biden people, they have the luck to always find themselves in the right place at the right time. And Hunter Biden, nobody can say this guy is a genius. But hasn't he been successful if you, if you gauge success by making a lot of money or getting a lot of money, obtaining a lot of money, and he's done it by influencing and peddling his dad's availability to people. And, of course, Joe's always been willing to help Hunter out because Hunter is his only son. His older brother, Bo, remember, died of brain cancer. There's no question that the president loves his son as he should, but don't underestimate anything about any of these people. And what I don't want to do, I don't want to come back in a year or two and start the show by saying, do you remember back in December of 2022 when I warned you not to underestimate the ability of the Biden family syndicate and the Democrat parties don't think they're not going to go crazy to attack anybody and everybody that even mentions the Hunter Biden issues. And they basically made it go away. I don't want to have to do that. So don't let it happen. Keep it out there. I hope you're not one of the hardcore sycophants that have just made a determination. We need to drive the Bidens into the dirt find everything we can on them and prosecute them, send them to prison. If you're one of those people, I'll tell you now, you're going to be sadly 
mistaken because that's not going to happen. We're in the process right now of government. We have a president that nobody questions if Hunter Biden gets convicted of anything in felony court. Joe Biden's going to let him off. He's going to give him amnesty. And this president, listen to what I'm about to say. If something like that happened and he was implicated and he was either going to be impeached or kicked out of office, even if this didn't happen until right before he was leaving office, you know what he would do? He would excuse himself. And a president can do that for anybody, including himself. Can you see that? A president, sitting president, pardons his son and pardons himself at the same time. Now, that would destroy his political career. Come on, folks, he's 80 years old. He has no political career after this. I don't care what anybody says. I doubt, even with the big Democrat machine behind him, I doubt he can get reelected in 2024. I think he's toast. But anyway, why would someone his age, with all of the consternation that he's been going through, um, I don't think anybody can say that he has a political future. I really don't. All that being said, we've got some news from Europe. And it's about environmental stuff. This probably won't surprise many of you. Britain's national grid, energy grid, has announced it's firing up two coal-fired reserve power plants as a winter snap and lack of wind lead the country facing blackouts in the middle of a general energy crisis. We've issued a notification to warn two winter contingency coal units. This is the grid. They said in a statement posted on social media expressing hope that the measure should give the public confidence in Monday's energy supply. This notification is not confirmation that these units will be used on Monday, but that they will be available to the electricity system operator if they're needed. Most of Britain's fossil fuel-powered domestic generating capability, and especially the coal-powered domestic generating capability, has been significantly eroded in the past few years. The nominally conservative government has been pursuing a net-zero green agenda that emphasizes so-called renewables like wind and importing energy from continental Europe which does not count towards the national carbon emission targets, by the way. Yeah, that's real legitimate, right? They're doing it through sub-sea interconnections under the English Channel. But with the wind not blowing reliably and continental nations enduring their own energy issues, Britain's in a tough spot right now. They don't know what to do. Countries like Germany have not destroyed as many already mothballed coal plants as Britain and so may prove better off in the energy crisis worsens despite their heavy dependence on Russian gas. 
as they've already been able to power up reserve coal stations in large numbers and have not allowed their gas storage capacity to wither away either. So the network radio, BBC Radio, and the grid are to talk about using more old coal power stations as it is coal with very little wind. Why were they not interested in this before when some of us warned them this was going to happen? That's Sir John Redwood, a veteran conservative who served in the governments of Sir John Major and the late Margaret Thatcher. We should not be worrying about keeping the lights on, not relying on imports, he said. He's cognizant of the fact that the country has few more reserve coal plants to call on if the ones the grid has warmed up prove inadequate to the task before then. So let me get this straight. Every reasonable person that looked at the environment when they began to shut down these coal plants in Britain, in Germany, and other European countries, they were doing it because they were being squeezed to go all green. We got to get rid of this evil, wicked coal over there. And that natural gas that we're buying from Russia, we got to stop doing that too. So the politicians were forced to begin this process. And we, among a bunch of other people on earth, said, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. You don't need to bow to the whims of the environmental nut jobs out there. You don't have sufficient supply to transition to those renewable sources, even if they are zero carbon emissions. And none of them are. They don't want to admit that, but they're not zero. They drop the carbon emission numbers, but they don't eliminate them. And so they bowed to the political pundits, and they started doing it. We'd already told you two months ago, Germany had done the same thing. They were forced to fire up power plants because what was happening? Vladimir Putin was shutting off their gas and they were getting all their natural gas from Russia. We told you when the invasion of Ukraine began, watch what happens. Vladimir Putin is going to blackmail Northern Europe and shut off their gas uh, uh, supplies that are coming through that number two pipeline. And it's happened three times so far. And every time the Russians say, oh, it's normal. We had to shut it down for repairs and maintenance. We'll get it back up in a few days. They gave no warning in advance or anything like that. When you rely on a hardcore leftist in government, and when I say hardcore, I'm talking about totalitarian. I'm talking about communist Vladimir Putin, and you trust him? (laughs) Big mistake. Big mistake. So what about back here in the U.S.? What's going to happen with our gas prices? Well, anybody, if you've been to the gas pump of late, you're paying less for your gas than you were paying a month or two ago. So what is happening? Stuart Varney at Fox News, he weighed this... He weighed it and talked about it ad nauseum, and I think he was as shocked as all of us, but it looks like, listen, 
We may have gas at $3 a gallon or maybe even lower than that. Gas prices are now down to the national averages, 331. That's for regular. And that's lower than it was this time last year. Gas buddies Patrick DeHaan joins us now. All right, Patrick, will we see the national average for regular drop below $3 a gallon? Well, I think, Stuart, this is where there's some deflation happening, and I think that certainly looks like a very good possibility here, uh, probably on as early as December 23rd. So the trajectory is looking very good. What is it? Today is December the 9th, (laughs) and you're talking about by December the 23rd, gas might come down another 30 cents and be below $3. You firm on that? Rather incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. after uh, such a tumultuous year. I think that's going to happen, Stuart. And maybe the best news is, is not so much gasoline, but I just looked. Diesel prices are plummeting as well. They just fell back below the $5 gallon mark. That's where we're still seeing year-on-year inflation. But diesel prices in Oklahoma are just about to fall under $4 a gallon, Stuart. That's the biggest economic driver, right? It's the price of diesel. And we're going to see a lot of relief there as well with diesel prices coming down 50 cents to a dollar a gallon over the next few weeks. Again, of course, as long as there are no exceptions or dramatic turnarounds in the market. Is this because there's been an, is this supply and demand? Is there been a sudden increase in the supply of oil and a demand coming down for it? Is that, is that what's going on? That's really it, Stuart. Refiners have really called, uh, responded to the call to raise production. Last week, refiner utilization was 95.5% rather high for this time of year. We saw a massive build in gasoline inventories as well as distillates. Every American has probably heard about how tight diesel supply was. We're now back in more comfortable territory at 31 days of supply. So things are looking better. Refineries have raised production, uh, and that's what's helping to lower both gasoline and diesel prices ahead of the holidays. A $2 handle on your gasoline by December 23rd, says Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan. Astonishing. But thanks very much for that prediction. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate that. You know, while I was listening to that, I had this thought. I wonder if the odds makers out in Las Vegas, I wonder if they are making bets or allowing bets on whether the price of gas will go below $3 a gallon, like uh, this guy at uh, Gas Buddy. He predicted it might happen before Christmas Eve. Got to be honest with you, I don't think it will. I think it will get a little bit lower, but that gummit, it's cool to pull up to the pump and not have to pull out a $100 bill to pay for a tank of gas. I I never got quite to that in my car, and it's not for any other reason other than in my Gas tank won't hold that much gas. But I know people that were doing that regularly, driving big SUVs. That's crazy that we would be there. I would love to get back to $2 and something a gallon. That'd be a great position to be in. I don't care when either. So let me ask you this. Do you think that during the Biden administration, we're going to see any changes at the southern border? It just blows my mind. I can't imagine why every member of the United States Congress, not just Republicans, but every one of the 535 members that are taxed and they each took an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution, why they would just benignly 
sit back and not do anything and let this invasion, which is exactly what it is, and no other word describes it more truthfully than the term invasion. And they're just sitting back and watching this wave of illegals come into the United States and destroy our infrastructure. There is no part of the United States of America's infrastructure that isn't totally under attack by this wave of illegals coming in here. I'm not going to go into the which ones because they're all being attacked. Twice last year, Biden's Homeland Security issued so-called sanctuary country orders. Sanctuary country orders. And by the way, that's now being challenged in court. But what was it? These orders ensured most of the nation's 11 to 22 million illegals were not eligible for arrest and deportation by ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Now, wait a minute. What does the law say? What does the law, the federal immigration laws, what specifically do they say regarding why Joe Biden issued these two sanctuary country orders? Well, it's real simple. It's a violation of federal law. And this thing, this executive order, both of them are being challenged in court. They are unconstitutional because they go against legally passed immigration laws by the United States Congress that were signed into law by previous presidents. Public records show that the Biden administration has cut deportations of illegals in all but two of the nation's highest volume counties when comparing months in 2021 to the same period two years earlier. Most significantly, Biden's DHS cut deportations by more than 90% in four of the 50 highest volume counties, Gwinnett County in Georgia, Plymouth County in Massachusetts, Bergen County in New Jersey, Kankakee County in Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Illinois are all sanctuary states. More than 520 illegals were deported from Gwinnett County, Georgia from January to September of 2019. Compare those to the same months under the Biden administration last year. Now remember, it was 520 in September of 2019. Same months this year, excuse me, last year, 53 compared to 520. In nine of the top 50 highest volume counties, the Biden administration cut deportations in 2021 by more than 80% than from the same period in 2019. For example, in El Paso, more than 4,700 aliens were deported in the first nine months of 2019, less than 670 the same period in 2021. 4,700 in 2019, less than 670 in 2021. 
Federal records show the number of illegals arrested by local law enforcement and deported from the U.S. has dropped by more than 70% under Biden compared to 2019. So what's this all about? Well, the decline in deportations has dropped in every local crime categories, including a 57% decline in deportations for illegals accused of murder. 57%, more than half. A 75% decline for those accused of kidnapping. A 91% decline for those accused of sex crimes. A 60% decline for those accused of sexual assault. And an 86% decline for those accused of burglary. In other words, criminals, not just those everyday illegal immigrants that just want to come to the U.S. for a better life for their families. Wah, wah, wah. Murderers, kidnappers, sex crimes, sexual assault, and burglary. All of them are down a minimum of 50%. Biden's not deporting them. So what are they going to do? What's the song say? Haters going to hate. Murderers going to murder. Rapers are going to rape. Kidnappers are going to kidnap. And they're just being released back into the United States. Great leadership. Yeah. So Kevin McCarthy, the incoming, he's going to be the Speaker of the House. He pledged over the weekend that he would issue subpoenas for 51 intel agents in wake of Hunter's Twitter files. Saturday, he was on Fox News' One Nation. said he's going to bring 51 intelligence agents that signed that letter that said the Hunter Biden information was Russia collusion. He's going to subpoena them to come testify before a committee in uh, I'm not even sure which one. Oversight? No, I don't know. Brian Kilmeade on the show asked McCarthy, we saw the revelations coming out of Twitter as Elon Musk is unmasking the corruption that existed there and the denials that they testified about. So for you personally, you have another move you want to make. Not only do we want to hear from the former executives of Twitter and other entities, but you have something else you want to do. McCarthy said, yeah, I do. This is egregious what we are finding. They should not have Section 230 to start out with, but we also have to go further. What did Facebook and Google do as well? Because they became an arm of the Democrat Party and an arm of government. He continued, those 51 intelligence agents that signed that letter that said the Hunter Biden information was all wrong, was Russia collusion, Many of them have a security clearance. We're going to bring them before the committee. I'm going to have them have a hearing. Why did they sign it? Why did they lie to the American public? James Clapper, John Brennan, why do you use the reputation that America was able to give to you more information, but use it for political purposes and lie to the American public? Now, that all sounds good. Those 51 people, they shouldn't have a security clearance. 
But what can Kevin McCarthy or anybody in Congress do about those security clearances? You know what they can do? Nothing. Even if he found every one of them were guilty of all kind of things, he can't take away their security clearances. That's what I'm talking about at the beginning of the show. Top of the show, we talked about all these investigations. Oh, we're going to go get them. We know they did this. We know they did that. We know Hunter did this. I don't think any of it's going to stick. And if it sticks, the president, he's got the pen. He's got the ability to pardon. He'll pardon everybody. In 2018 and 2020, Breitbart senior contributor and government accountability president Peter Schweitzer published Secret Empires and Profiles in Corruption. Each book hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And they exposed how Hunter and Joe flew aboard Air Force Two in 2013 to China before Hunter's business inked a $1.5 billion deal with the subsidiary of the Chinese government's Bank of China. And that happened less than two weeks after the trip. Schweitzer's work also uncovered the Biden family's other lucrative foreign deals in cronyism. Investigative work at the New York Post on the Hunter Biden laptop from hell also captured international headlines when one of the editors at Breitbart, along with Miranda Devine from the Post, revealed Joe was intimately involved in Hunter's businesses, appearing to even have a 10% stake in one company that Hunter formed with officials at the highest levels of the Chinese Communist Party. It's one thing to have the right and the capability to go investigate and find out all these facts. It's another thing to have the power to bring them to justice. And right now, I don't think any reasonable, honest American can say this Justice Department is all about justice. And they're going to take care of lawbreakers, as each one of them promised to do in their oaths of office, including Attorney General Merrick Garland. Do you honestly think if Hunter, if the House does all of these investigations and all kinds of criminality are exposed, do you honestly think the Department of Justice is going to prosecute Hunter Biden? The absolute, absolute worst thing that could happen is he would be censored or fined a bunch of money, slapped on the wrist. He's not going to serve any time. And even if he doesn't serve time, and, and let's just say the DOJ comes out and slaps him on the wrist, they take away his right to vote, all those kinds of things, and fine him $20 million, $50 million, doesn't matter what the number is. His daddy can pardon him even of having to pay the fines. Wow. Now, I know Joe loves his son. Every dad should love his son like Joe loves Hunter. But doing it, having the right to doing it, Does that mean you always should go ahead and do it? 
whatever it is. If something's wrong, it's wrong. Don't play with it. Don't mess around with it. Run from it. There are eternal implications for knowingly participating in wrongdoing. Now, let me just say this. This recent dump from Twitter, yeah, it pointed fingers at a lot of people up at the top. It did. But it didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop from the names of the people that we all hear about every day. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, Merrick Garland, Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI. All those people are implicated in their mention. But nobody that's a conservative got a free pass. Let us bring in author of Come On, Joe Concha. Joe, another tweet from Michael Schellenberg in the latest installment of these Twitter files says, on January 8th, Twitter says its ban is based on specifically how Trump's tweets are being received and interpreted. But in 2019, Twitter said it did not attempt to determine all potential interpretations of the content or its intent. Right. So they, the Twitter executives got into the business of taking down tweets because they were afraid of how people would interpret them. Right. In other words, if you're at home and you're on your computer or you're on a subway or you're on a bus or you're looking at your phone while you're at work, you're too stupid. You are not smart enough to understand what is and what is not information that may be harmful to you, so to speak. And they weren't afraid of anything. They were working in concert with the Democratic Party. All of these emails that we're seeing, these receipts that we're seeing from Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss now prove this. Right. And, and, and the lockstep of ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, NPR, PBS, The New York Times, The Washington Post, all not covering this is, is as pathetic, Carly, as it is predictable. And, and these networks and these outlets, this bias of omission is just as telling as Twitter's actions itself as, as far as shadow banning, suppression of information, outright censorship, social media and traditional media, the free press now appear to be saying they support the silencing of certain kinds of speech if it's something that David Webb just brought it up before. If it's something that they disagree with, then it should be silenced, right? And, and when this story is being covered and talked about, particularly on social media, it's being mocked uh, as, as some activist journalists attempt to fail uh, to discredit Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, two truly independent journalists. It's gone from now, Todd, hey, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist for saying shadow banning exists to, hey, we already knew this. It's no big deal. Just accept it. No, you, we should not accept this in any way, shape, or form, yet it's not being covered anywhere. Yeah, and Joe has been talking to us about this transition from journalism to activism for years now. Yeah. This is the most telling example. They're not even trying anymore. This is 100% activism on a story that I think objectively five years ago, everybody would agree this is a really big story. Along those lines, Elon Musk also posting a tweet getting some attention <laughs> that his pronouns, you know, everybody puts their pronouns, not everybody, but a few people put their pronouns out there like they, them, he, she. 
Elon Musk says his pronouns are prosecute Fauci. The Atlantic responding, quote, Elon Musk is a far right activist, even though he was a Democrat up until like 10 minutes ago. The tweet is a cruel and <laughs> senseless play on pronouns that also invokes the right's fury toward Anthony Fauci. Obviously, he really triggered the libs here. Joe, when I was preparing for this segment, I thought to myself, is Elon the next, next Donald Trump in terms of getting under the left skin? Oh, my. He might even be better at it. You know, I mean, his tweets are incredible. And, and the thing is, the old Twitter regime uh, apparently never even used Twitter in any way, shape or form. They didn't even understand their product. Elon Musk understand exactly what he has here as far as a tool in terms of sending a message. And, and his tweets are viewed by millions upon millions uh, of people. So, yeah, uh, he, he appears to be triggering uh, certain folks on the left, no question about it. And, and he's doing it in a way where now. Now, at, to your point, he used to be the guy saving the world with Tesla and SpaceX, and now he's uh, apparently part of the alt-right. Go figure <laughs> how that works, but he's sharing his opinions. That's what Twitter's for, guys. It certainly is. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Take care, Carly. Take you care, too. Todd. This conversation dominates everything. The, the, the conversation about what was going on at Twitter and what was it all about and who was doing what. And who did Twitter go after? Well, there's a lot more to it. Let me remind you, what was going on in 2020? We had an election in November that year, a presidential election. You know, you haven't heard anybody talk about what Twitter did election-related in 2020. Hmm. Do you think they were involved in trying to tip the balance of votes in the 2020 election to maybe favor their special candidate, Joe Biden, but it was more about what it took to take out their foe in the 2020 election. Who was that? Well, former President Donald Trump. That's next. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN. Network. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun, and you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. You know, I I look at this this Twitter stuff, and I I look at Facebook. I I gotta be honest with you. I don't see any way that Zuckerberg gets a pass in all this. Somebody 
in government or some high-profile Republican is going to come out at some point, maybe soon, and say, hey, look, this was going on at Twitter. What was going on over at Facebook? Now, remember, it's one thing to take on Twitter. Twitter is a big company in relation to other companies, but as it comes to social media comparisons, Facebook dominates Twitter. Facebook is a massive international corporation. And Zuckerberg sits atop the heap. Maybe no conversation has begun about Facebook getting into the political world and tipping different elections and conversations and all that and maybe even some election tampering. But that has got to be in the offing, at least in the way of a conversation. Well, but back to Twitter. I I just thought about the Facebook thing. They're getting a free pass right now. But I got to believe that with the revelations coming out about Twitter and what they did, it's going to circle back. There's Jen Psaki. She's out there at uh, uh, is this, yeah, CNN or MSNBC, one of them, and she's really denigrating anything that a Republican says, which is no surprise. But the Facebook conversation is going to come up. So the latest Twitter thing, it targeted internal communications at Twitter about free speech suppression on the platform. But internal Slack chats at Twitter shared and commented on by investigative journalist Matt Taibbi in that lengthy thread published over the weekend shows that engagement between Twitter and federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies soared during this period. The chats are also chock full of obscure terms and Jargon, which Taibbi dubbed Orwellian unwords, used by Twitter's enforcers as they worked to tag, shadow ban, and otherwise suppress content that was sympathetic to then President Trump's reelection campaign, while giving content aligned with then candidate, now President Joe Biden, giving him a free pass. The Twitter enforcement team also cracked down on some prominent conservatives weighing in on elections like former Republican Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and actor James Woods. We heard from James Woods, I guess it was Thursday or Friday, when he came out about his being exonerated by Twitter and what he is in the process of doing. He's suing. In another exchange, when Twitter staffers didn't have a firm policy basis for censoring pro-Trump tweets from actor James Wood, they vowed to hit him hard on future VIO with firmer basis. VIO would be one of Taibbi's Orwellian unwords for violation. Now, what about Trump? Well, the messages that comprise episode three of the Twitter files show how Twitter's content moderation team came up with various excuses for escalating censorship acts targeting pro-Trump post. In the docs, often expand criteria to subjective issues like intent. Now listen, why am I bringing this up? I want you to understand how 
premeditated all of this was. Folks, it literally was a group of hardcore leftist multimillionaires that made all their money in Twitter, being endowed with Twitter stock, trading it on the marketplace while they worked at Twitter, and they just amassed this huge pile of money and with it the ability to use Twitter to destroy not just Donald Trump, but conservatives of every ilk. One screen grab of messages between Twitter staffers considers action on a tweet by Trump sharing a news report about a postal screw-up where nearly 50,000 votes received incorrect ballots in Ohio with the news outlet captioning its story with the question whether voters feel safe mailing in your ballot. Trump commented, no, a rigged election. One Twitter staffer flagged Trump's tweet as a candidate for getting tagged with the label, learn how voting by mail is safe and secure. Another Twitter moderator questioned whether this would be appropriate as what Trump wrote was commentary and his opinion related to these real events and so not a violation that justifies a label. Yeah, those are factually accurate, Roth admitted while weighing in on the discussion. That's Yoel Roth, one of the big guys at Twitter. In another group of messages, senior Twitter execs targeted a tweet by Trump that said, Big problems and discrepancies with mail-in ballots all over the U.S. Most have final total on November 3rd. Trump's tweet was hit with three enforcement actions, a stay-in-farm label that invited users to see how voting by mail is safe and secure, a tag that said some or all of the content shared in this tweet is disputed and might be misleading and preventing the tweet from being replied to, shared, or liked. One of the executives then expressed satisfaction that Trump's tweet was censored quickly. Very well done on speed, folks. What this is all designed for, that executive wrote. The messages also show that the Twitter created a new tool to censor Trump after the election when he was vocal with his claims of election fraud. Internally, executives referred to the tool as L3 de-amplification. The new tool was announced on December 10th of 2020 when Trump was in the middle of firing off 25 tweets saying things like, a coup is taking place in front of our eyes. So the Twitter enforcement team's messages showed They sometimes adjusted their moderation actions when the targeted tweets were critical of censorship itself. This is how deep and premeditated this all was. They had unfettered, total authority. There was nobody at the top of Twitter. Jack Dorsey was either gone already or he was somewhere smoking something and he didn't pay attention to any of it or he didn't care, whatever. But these group of hardcore sycophants, probably none of them older than 30. They just did whatever they wanted to do. In one case, Representative Jody Heiss, a Republican from Georgia, posted a tweet 
sharing a message that had been blocked when shared by another account. Mailed ballots are more prone to fraud than in-person voting. That shouldn't be controversial. It's just common sense. Sharing that message, Heist said, that Twitter doesn't want you to see this tweet and added, say no to big tech censorship. So one of the Twitter staffers considering action on Heist's post acknowledges that his message about there being more fraud with mail-in ballots than with in-person ballots is much more of a legitimate statement even if scale is minuscule and suggest applying a soft intervention. Yoel Roth replies, agree, before cautioning that going too far down the rabbit hole of labeling critical speech like critical of our handling of this case is dangerous. It becomes a self-reinforcing wah-wah censorship cycle, Roth said. Now, during the 2020 cycle, on the flip side, the Biden side, by contrast, there were dozens and dozens of instances in which pro-Biden tweets warning that Trump may try to steal the election were flagged for possible action only for Twitter executives to give them the green light. In one case, a user shared a news report about Supreme Court Justice John Roberts swearing in newly appointed Justice Amy Coney Barrett, claiming in the comment that, quote, they're going to try to steal the election and urging people, if you haven't voted yet, don't mail, drop it off, or vote early. A Twitter staffer asked the team to weigh in, calling it an edge case, with commentary encouraging voters not to vote by mail and that I believe we should label it. An executive dismissed that recommendation, saying the tweet is still encouraging people to vote, but expresses the concern that mail ballots might not make it in time, which seems fair. In another case... A tweet claiming Trump and Barrett would steal the election was flagged for possible labeling. A Twitter exec decided not to, saying the employee's concern was understandable, but the tweet seemed to be in reference to a Supreme Court decision on processing mail-in ballots that arrive after Election Day. Roth also ordered a label to be overturned that had been applied to a tweet from former Attorney General Eric Holder who claimed that the U.S. Postal Service had been deliberately crippled. Everything in it is factually accurate, Roth wrote, with a Twitter staffer then announcing the label had been removed. Also, screen grabs of internal messages showed that after Twitter execs banned Trump from the platform, they discussed banning future presidents, with one executive noting that then-incoming President Joe Biden's administration will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. This, This is enough. This is enough. You know what's going on. There's a green light for Democrats and pretty much anything they say, whatever they tweet. But if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, or even if you're a Democrat that posts something that is positive in the way of supporting conservative causes and it looks or it attempts to look at someone on the other side of the aisle in a negative light, you're going to see that Twitter, that tweet, 
stopped or a notice put on it. That's why I began to, I I ramped up during the four years of Trump administration, I ramped up my use of Twitter, using it for truthnewsnet.org and using it for TNN Live. But when all of this began, I got to be honest with you, I, I, I just thought it wasn't worth the effort. The time and the effort that it took to weigh in on this stuff, it just became laborious and it was counterproductive. It was counterproductive. Because what ended up happening, Twitter just went totally in the tank and they went after everybody who disagreed with the mainstream mantra. I want you to listen to this. And this is this is the last thing in the show today we're going to talk about. In fact, I'm not even going to do it. We're running out of time. Listen. I don't even know if we should go down this rapid hole any further. <laughs> Just because it saps our sources. It saps our time. We don't have time to just sit around and worry about what happened and why. We've got to make changes. Here's what I encourage you to do. Put all this crap behind you as much of it as you can and just begin to look forward and figure out what we need to do, what we can do to straighten all of this stuff out. We got to straight out our thinking. We got to push for those that are in authority over us to do the same thing. In the meantime, we started the show with a happy Christmas song. We're leaving the show today with another great Christian song. Get in the spirit and have a great Christmas season. We love you. See you tomorrow, 9 Central, right here at TNN Live. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains.
existe. 